0: Welcome to the Gen Z Show, the only show dedicated to young leaders and those who work with them to create a positive
1: revolution that will inspire this generation to impact future generations with your
0: host, James McLam.
1: Welcome to the Gen Z Show. I'm your host, James McLam, and I'm joined today with my daughter, Sarah Beth. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm doing great today. I'm excited to share with our Gen Z audience, our Gen Z show audience, our guest. Our guest is Bob T.D. Now, Bob is has been on the crew of staff, uh, has been on the staff of crew for over 47 years and has been on their leadership development team for almost two decades, a decade and a half, almost two decades. And he has a blog called Leading with Questions. And Bob is, is being identified as, as like a professor of questionology. And what an amazing interview that we had. What did you're going to want to share with your friend? Sarah, what was your greatest takeaway with our discussion with Bob today?
2: I mean, besides everything that he said, um, probably the most impactful thing that he mentioned was by asking questions and continually asking questions and listening to what people say, you get to hear amazing ideas and amazing stories and amazing things about their life and what they think that can deepen your relationship with them and make you and them a more effective leader.
1: If you want to increase your leadership skills, you need to connect with Bob. You need to listen to this interview and connect with Bob. If you want to increase your effectiveness of working with you, you did to listen to this. If you want to increase your effectiveness of working with people in general, this is the podcast for you. So let's go straight to our interview with Bob. Bob, thank you for being our guest and welcome to the Gen Z show. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be with you, uh, James, and with Sarah Beth.
1: We appreciate, we're very excited uh, to be able to have you as our guest. We're excited to to be able to learn uh, about the the things that you do and and the things that you are known about uh, sharing with others and teaching others about. But our audience, our young audience and those who may work with them, they may not be familiar with who you are, you know, shocking they should be, but we want them to hear from you a little bit about yourself. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, I would appreciate it.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Again, the name is Bob TD. The last, uh, My last name is just like uh, touchdown in football, TD. Uh, my wife and I have been on the staff of CREW, uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, but we've been on the uh, staff of CREW now for 50 years. We spent eight years in CREW campus in Colorado, the state of Washington and Oregon. In '79, the national director of Crew at that time played matchmaker and brought Josh McDowell and myself together. And uh, for the next 24 years, I had the privilege of working with Josh McDowell, being the CEO of Josh McDowell Ministry, which is a division of Crew. And so many incredible stories from that time led 18 major mission trips to Russia, taking three to four hundred volunteers at a time. We stepped away from that role in 2003. We took a sabbatical. Crew brought us seven opportunities. The one that resonated that we were called to do was leadership development. And so I've been on the US leadership development team since 2004. And the mission is simple, developing the next generation of leaders for crew. But uh, Sarah, Beth, and James, the elevator speech is actually true of every organization. And that is in 15 to 20 years, almost none of our current leaders will still be leading. That's, that's generally true for every organization. In their places will be the leaders we're now developing. And if we fail to develop that next generation of leaders, well, neither crew nor any other organization will fail tomorrow or next week, next month, or even next year. But it may fail 15 to 20 years from now. And history is filled of stories, filled with stories, uh, sad stories of organizations that were once at the top of their game and 15 to 20 years later, maybe a shell of themselves, may not even exist. And when you dig around, the reasons are always complex, but almost always one of the reasons is no intentional development of that next generation of leaders. And just to be clear, I'm part of an incredible team. This is not something I do by myself. And and my role on the team has really become to recruit outstanding leaders from outside of crew to coach crew leaders. And we currently have 111 outside leaders on three different coaching teams, coaching crew leaders every other week with a commitment to do so for two years.
1: Wow. Now, you mentioned just then that, you know, any organization that is not developing their own leaders may not exist. A thought occurred to me when you said that, is the current leadership, are you seeing that in crew, that the current leadership is coming from the leaders that you guys have been developing over the past decades?
0: James, tremendous question. And and it's one that, uh, you know, I'm really pleased to answer. And that is, it has been fun seeing. When we started the first emerging leadership group, it was 2005 to seven. Just a month or two ago, we graduated the eighth group. There's Mm -hmm. now over 200 crew leaders that have gone through our intentional leadership development program. And they are now populating leadership positions throughout crew. And uh, it's, it's really exciting to see that it's working.
1: Wow. That's outstanding to see the success of going through there and, and what is going on. So do you, did you find it was very difficult to convince leaders, young leaders, to buy into the concept of leading with questions? Now, you're known for, for writing the book. Now, that's a great question. And great leaders ask questions, the, the ones that are behind you on the, on the, uh, the bat are behind you. But have you found it, it's very hard to get young leaders to buy into that?
0: James, uh, truthfully, no, let let me back up and say, you know, in my book, now that's a great question. I start with a confession. And the confession is that for most of my career, I was a benevolent dictator and not out of evil intent. But the only paradigm of leadership I had was that a leader needs to give direction. A leader needs to tell staff what to do The benevolent part was I grew up in a home where I was taught to say please and thank you. So Sarah Beth, had had you been on my team, I would have never said, Sarah Beth, go do this. It would have been, hey, Sarah, you know, we're working on this this week and Sarah Beth, it would really be great if you could please do this. And, And then when you did a great job, I would have said, Sarah Beth, thank you. In fact, in a staff meeting, Sarah Beth, stand up. You all need to hear what Sarah Beth did this week. And so there was the benevolent part. But again, at its core, I thought the job of a leader was to tell staff what to do. And in a, when I found the book, also called Leading with Questions by Dr. Mm-hmm. Michael Marquardt in 2006, that book was a page turner. It was filled with stories and also questions leaders could use to lead with questions. And as soon as I heard that paradigm or saw it, it was like, why hasn't anyone shared this with me before? And it was like, I instantly embraced it. Now you asked, I'm I'm coming around the barn on this, James. You asked, is it difficult to introduce this? I find that everywhere, no matter what their age, Leaders who hear this are much like I was. Like, why hasn't anyone ever shared this with me before? It just makes sense. And, uh, you know, one of the things is I actually think Generation Z leaders embrace this quicker as soon as they hear it. Because I know for those who don't, for those who have Gen Z staff and you want to connect and motivate and, and make full use of them they really want to work for leaders that will engage them, leaders that will ask for their input. In fact, they will leave leaders and companies where they aren't given an opportunity for input. Well, that's true for them, but it's also, as soon as they hear this, they also say, wow, yes, that's the way I want to lead. Not only do I want to be asked, but they realize I have to do the same thing with my uh, colleagues and those that I would lead. So they quickly embrace it, James.
2: Um, Well, that made me think. So you mentioned like in your introduction of what you do with CREW and with leadership development, intentional leadership. Um, You kind of touched on that and in my mind, Um, Intentional leadership is different than just normal leadership training. So how does this teaching young people, how does this teaching leaders, how to ask questions and how to lead by asking questions, how does that lead into like intentional leadership training? How does it make it different from other leadership trainings that other organizations use?
0: Well, Sarah Beth, that's a fantastic question. And uh, I'm thinking back to 2005 when we launched the first group. Now word has kind of gotten out on how we do this for the groups that have continued but in 2005 that first group walked into the room and you could kind of just see that what they were expecting was that they'd hear an hour lecture on some aspect of leadership then there'd be a little discussion then there'd be a break and then there'd be another lecture and uh you know not that that would be all bad but they walked into the room that first morning and we said Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 24 hour challenge. And they're looking at each other like, what is this? And we said, we are putting you into uh, four groups. There'll be about five of you in each group. And uh, we've already set up tomorrow morning, each group is gonna interview a big L leader from the business community here in Orlando. That meeting's already been set up your job today is going to be to come up with the questions you're gonna ask them so that you can discover what are their, what is their leadership framework. And uh, those interviews will take place tomorrow morning and then tomorrow afternoon, I think starting at two o'clock each group will present what you've learned to the whole group. And oh, by the way, we're gonna assign one of our leadership team to be the silent observer with each group. They won't say a word, but they'll be observing. And then after your presentations tomorrow afternoon, those silent observers will give each group their feedback. Well, immediately, hands go up like, you know, should we do this or that or the other thing? We said, ladies and gentlemen, you're smart people. You'll figure it out, (laughs) and they did. But what I'm sharing there is that we use experiential learning, not listen to a lecture and and then take some notes because what we discovered is you can call that leadertainment. It's kind of like, oh yeah, that was kind of fun to listen to, but it doesn't actually create any actual change or development in a leader, but experiential learning does. And then the other aspects, we call that action learning, what I've just done. And and it's interesting, I always say, Jesus actually invented action learning. When he sent the 12 out two by two, and later the 70 out two by two, he was putting them on an action learning experience. And the scriptures record that when they came back, they had questions, they were teachable. Um, And so that's what we've discovered. The second thing is coaching. And we've recruited this outstanding leader from outside of crew. And then we train our coaches to coach with questions. They're not they don't go down a mentorship paradigm. Nothing wrong. We all need mentors. But in a mentorship, the mentor sets the agenda in a coaching program. The young leader sets the agenda. They determine the topic they want to be coached on. And so in the process of learning to be coached, we actually train our coaches as well as our crew leaders, these emerging leaders in how to coach because our crew leaders actually need to coach others on their team. And that whole paradigm though is leading with questions. And uh, once they get the paradigm, they get excited about it.
1: There is that different than what you have had as far as leadership training and other organizations that you've been a part of
2: oh yeah yes totally when you said nobody really wants to sit down and listen to people talk and talk that's what I had for a very long time um and just thinking about how the whole time I was saying there I was like why does this matter how am I about to use this like I I never got to practice it um so I'm curious how did that whole 24-hour challenge thing turn out like what did they end up learning like was there any like funny stories from it or
1: you see bob why i have younger yeah. co-hosts they ask much better questions than <laughs> i do
0: <laughs> Well, there about that that is a great question um you know here's something that the silent observers have observed and that is uh now these emerging leaders all of them are already outstanding local leaders in our organization. They've probably been on our staff five to 10 years and back where they lead, they're the leader. And I always say, you know, back where they lead, even if they're at a round table, they're at the head of the table. And they're kind of used to the other staff listening to what they have to say. And so now we bring all of them together and there's five of them in a group. And one of the things we observe that's always kind of fun is when they go and have that first meeting, In invariably, one of them will say, well, gang, here's what we need to do. In other words, they're treating their other four colleagues like their team back home. And, of course, that gets pushback. <laughs> their, their colleagues say, well, wait, wait a minute. Who died here and made you the leader? <laughs> and... Uh, and what they quickly learn is we have to work collegially. We have to work relationally. This is not going to be a top-down. One of us is in charge. And, uh, and actually, the higher you move up in any organization, that's a valuable skill that you're working collegially, relationally, not because I have authority over you, but because we are colleagues together. So that's, that's one of the fun things. And then uh, as they put their questions together and they go, here's something they don't know. Now, Sarah Beth, if you ever joined the staff of crew and you go through this program, you're gonna know this. (laughs) But uh, we tell the leaders that they're interviewing, at some point, turn the questions around. So in other words, they go into this interview thinking, "My job is to ask this leader the questions," and they do. And at some point, the leader says, "Hey, I'm curious, Sarah Beth, what is your leadership paradigm?" And uh, you know, and so that's always fun. And and actually, most of the time, they do a great job, even though they had not expected that question. But they come away usually with just this sense of satisfaction that they did a great job. And, uh, and working together, they kind of feel like, wow, my four colleagues on this team, we just kind of deepened our relationship almost instantly with one another. Now, let me fast forward. That's the first day. Later, and and we bring them together four times in the two years. The second time we bring them together, we actually put them on an action learning team that's gonna to work together for the next six months. And we give each team a major challenge facing crew. Now, every organization has challenges. These are real challenges. They aren't case studies, they aren't busy work. They're the real challenges facing crew, and each team has six months to do research, uh, create ideas, develop a proposal that they know on the first day of module three they will present to the leadership of crew. And that whole experience has so many growing opportunities, and and so often, you know, when I connect with leaders who've been part of this program who are now in other leadership positions, they reflect back on their involvement in this program and to say, wow, action learning so prepared me for what I'm doing now. And second, coaching, having a coach, learning to coach, those two things have given me a foundation on which to develop as a leader.
1: If if we've got some people who are working with youth listening to this and they're catching a vision right now, they're saying, okay, what I've been doing working with youth may not be the best approach. I'm leading from the top down. I'm sharing with them my wisdom, my experience, hoping that that's going to drive them. But I see that there may be a better way. What is step one for them to start transitioning? How do they start their journey on becoming a person who leads with questions?
0: Well, James, you've tossed me a softball there. <laughs> so <good. laughs> Sarah Beth, whenever I'm speaking, at some point, you know, I sense from the audience, on one hand, they would like to learn to lead with questions, but on the other hand, they imagine they'll have to go get a master's degree in questionology. It's kind of like, you know, it'd be nice to be a brain surgeon and make all that money, but it's not likely. And so I asked, who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Well, every hand goes up. So today, Sarah Beth, I see your hand went up. (laughs) So, and and James, James, do you have a second hand on your watch? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, Sarah Beth, I sense that you have a photographic memory and you're only gonna have to hear my four questions one time and you'll have them memorized. And uh, are you ready? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, start the watch. Sarah Beth, my first favorite question is, what do you think? Second, what else? Third, what else? Fourth, what else? Sarah Beth, do you have them memorized? I think I do. (laughs) Share them with us.
2: What do you think? What else? What else and what else?
0: (laughs) Okay, how do we do on time, James? 21 seconds,
1: okay. almost
0: twenty-two. nine seconds, eight seconds to spare. Now, Sarah, Beth, sometimes as people hear that they're a little skeptical, like you can't ask somebody, what do you think? What else? What else? What else? And of course, not not in that rapid fashion. But let's say Sarah, Beth, I ask you, hey, Sarah, Beth, what do you think about and there's some topic? And you give me that at first answer. And when you pause, I say, wow, Sarah, that's good. What what else? And you'll give me more. And when you pause again, I might say, well, Sarah, Beth, I- I'm taking notes. Please, Please continue. This is so good. What else? And you'll actually give me more. What I've discovered, it's actually the third and fourth question that gets to somebody's gold nugget. And I've realized even in the past when I did ask somebody, what do you think? As soon as they gave me that first answer and paused, I moved on. And uh, I was often, I was, you know, I use this word picture like that proverbial gold miner who mined for gold their whole life, quit, and somebody later discovered they were within six inches of the gold beam. And, and I've realized it's only when you ask the third and fourth question that you get to their best answer. And, and so for a leader who has only led by telling, it's really this simple. Imagine your next meeting one-on-one or it could even be just with a friend over coffee. And instead of telling them there's some topic and you say, what do you think? And you let them speak. And when they pause, wow, well, what else? Or there's other form, hey, say more about that. This is really good, please continue. and, and they will. And uh, Or imagine the next time you're in front of your staff or maybe you're on a, a committee or some group, and instead of say, hey gang, here's what we need to do, you say, gang, you know here's, here's what we've been asked to do. How do you think we could do that best? And then listen and what else and what else? You actually will be on your way to leading with questions with just that. Now, now, there's some more questions that can be used. But I always share what I love about leading with questions is some of the best questions are so simple. They're not complex kinds of questions. One of the
1: things I've... Sitting here listening and I'm buying into this and I really love it. Former teacher, I, I taught at the classroom for 10 years, The so question now, obviously was something that you're taught very early on or instructed how to do very on. But I'm thinking about those who are working with youth or an inspiring young leader. And the, one of the arguments they might have for you is that takes a whole lot of time. That takes too much of my time. I could just tell them what they need to know instead of trying to ask them and mm-hmm. get this what are the benefits that for me to go this direct route your route that you're proposing versus just giving them the information they need? What are the benefits of it? How would you answer them to that?
0: Well, James, there's two quotes that hang on my wall here. And I'll read them. The first one is from Dr. Henry Cloud. He says, when you give advice, the brain is basically asleep if you engage them and ask questions that help them come to their own insights it meaning the brain comes alive
2: Mm.
0: and then um david osberger said being heard in other words when you ask and then you listen being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person they are almost indistinguishable Mm. and so The question that I think we need to ask again, whether you're working with youth, it doesn't, when you're working with other people, period, is do you want to do what's easiest or do you want to do what's most effective? And most of us, when we have that question, like, well, of course, I want to do what's effective. Yes, it may take a bit more time, but it'll be effective and you're actually wasting your time, even though you might think it's fast to tell people what to do. But the result is uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't create any changes. Um, you know, one of the books, and, and I did not author this book, 339 Questions Jesus Asked. And, and the reason I say I didn't author it is I compiled it. It was written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I just went through the four books And pulled out the questions Jesus asked. And when you list that whole list, there was 339. And uh, when I speak, I share, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. But even if you weren't a follower of Christ, and you wanted to improve your communication skills, wouldn't you be wise to study? Of course, I believe the greatest communicator ever, but but if you're not a follower of Christ, you'd still have to put him in the top 10. One of the greatest communicators ever. And when you study Jesus as a communicator, you realize he majored on two things. He told incredible stories. He asked incredible questions. And I'm just guessing, because Jesus was actually involved in creation, that he was actually leveraging his design he knew how we were wired and wow. he was leveraging his design when he asked questions because he knew that if he asked a question and a person he asked it answered they were coming up with the he was create, the the probability of change would be greatly increased because they came up with the answer
1: That's, that got written down. That's going to be quotable for me. Leveraging the design. I really love that. That, that that kind of takes me in a whole different direction too. And, and what you're saying about that, this can actually be used in, in, in speaking training. You know, I focus when I'm trying to teach people speaking training to share through stories. And I use the example that Christ shared through stories, but I'm also thinking now, how much more effective would it be if the speaker is also asking questions while they're sharing these stories? Um, hmm. Yeah, this is, what do you think, Sarah?
2: Well, um, I was actually about to ask you to share a story. Um, So you talked about how you used to be like a dictator type leader, not like totally, but you told people what to do, but then you switched over to asking questions and how, um, talked about relational um, leadership. So I want to hear like personal, like how did you see that change? Like your relationships, your um, workplace, mm-hmm. like how did, how did it affect like you personally and like the people you work directly with? Like how did that switch change everything?
0: Sarah Beth, that, that is a fantastic question. Um, I'm going to come around the barn to answer, but, but Cheryl Batchelder, who's a good friend, former CIA, CEO of Popeye's Chicken and her book, mm-hmm. Dare to Serve, said, how well do you know your staff? Do you know the three to four events that have most shaped their lives? And as soon as I heard that question, I couldn't wait to find somebody to ask. And uh, just, uh, you know, I think a few hours later, I had a coaching call with one of my colleagues in Canada. His name is Neil, and and I've known Neil since 2007. So I, I didn't actually think I'd learn much new but I thought it'd be fascinating to hear what Neil would say are the three to four events that have most shaped his life. So I asked the question, he said, Bob, have I ever shared with you that my birth father died when I was nine months old? No, Neil, I've never heard that. He said, well, my mother, you know, remarried several years later, and the man who's really my stepfather is the man who kind of in my heart is my dad. But he said, it's been so often shared with me. Even recently, one of my aunts reminded me that in the final weeks of my birth father's life, he knew he was dying. He was in a big bed at home and every day he would ask to hold me. And as he held me, he would pray over me and ask that God the heavenly father would be a father to this little boy that he knew he would not live to raise. And as Neil shared that story, Neil began to have tears. We were on Skype, I began to have tears. And uh, that whole thing took about as long as I've just shared it. And yet I thought, wow, that one question and bang, our relationship went deeper. So whenever I speak, I share this story and then I say, I want you all to experience this. I want you all to stand up, find somebody here you don't know once the two of you are connected, just hold on till we get everybody connected. And I'm going to give you four minutes each to answer the question to each other, what are the four events that most three or four events that most shaped your life? And then they experience this. And when they're done, I always say how many of you would say you now know more about the person you just had this eight minute interaction with than some of your friends that you've known for 20 years? Wow. Again, every hand goes up. And then I said, You know, those friends you've known for 20 years, how could you find out what are the three to four events in their life? And the light comes on. They said, I could ask them. Yes. And uh, the point of that is we are relational people. Patrick Lencioni in his book, Three Signs of a Miserable Job, says that one of the signs is to work at a place where you feel unknown. And so going back to Cheryl Batchelder at Popeyes, encouraging like her store managers, to find time sometime, don't necessarily line them up and one, two, three, four, go down the row, but over time asking your employees, hey, what would you say are the three to four events that have most shaped your life? And listen, And that employee feels like no one. It's like, wow, I work at a place where my leadership cares about me, not just what I do here, but they know me. They care about me. And so um, that's the story, Sarah, that immediately, Sarah Beth, that immediately came to my mind.
2: That's so cool. I I was thinking, I don't know if you saw me, I was kind of like staring off in his face. That's how (laughs) I think, but I was like. I don't I don't think I know the answers to some of those for people who I've known like almost my whole life. Like I don't know the answers.
0: Sarah Beth, what would you say are the three to four events that have most shaped your life?
2: Oh man, way to put me on the spot. I don't know. Mm. Wow, hold on, give me a second I can give you I can give you the number one. Sure. Um, yeah <laughs> I would probably say. In middle school. Um, So I'm adopted. Um, So I was like really questioning that for some reason all my friends were like just talking about it Um, and I was like they were asking me about my family. I said well I'm adopted Um, and they thought that was so crazy and um, it made me question a lot and so I actually was crying about it in my room in the sixth grade and my mom walked in um, and she said that even though like, I wasn't like by blood, like their daughter, that would always be theirs because that's who God entrusted with me and that they were going to love me, um, forever. Like I was their own. And so from that day on, like my self image of like who I am, like why I was placed where I was just kind of changed. Um, and it made me view like my family differently. It made me view God differently. Cause I had a question. I was like, Why? Why would someone not want me? And then it made me view my friends differently too. I was like, yeah, we're different. But I mean, my experience shaped me. Wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> Sarah Beth, you don't know this, but our youngest is Sarah Joy spelled Sarah the same way with no H and she's adopted and, uh, she's our chosen one. And, uh, There's so many stories I could share, but when she was 18, a senior in high school at at Christmas dinner, she said to her siblings, guess what I've learned in Texas history or get Texas government. And they all in unison said, Sarah, what did you learn Texas government? She said, well, according to the laws of the state of Texas, dad and mom, if they want, could disown all three of you. They could never disown me. (laughs) And and that's true in the state of Texas. And uh, oh, last year. Sarah posted on Facebook, I guess there's a, a, a national adoption month or week or something. I forget when it was. But Sarah said something about in there that she was adopted. And I, I responded to it and said, What? Why is it no one ever told me? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure James, you identify like I do. I actually forget most of the time. There just is no difference.
1: Well, the backstory of that too is that I'm adopted as well. Wow. So in our house, it's just, you know, and, and ours is kind of flipped and that when the oldest two are adopted and the youngest one uh, is, is not. And so it's kind of a, um, that one is the, the surprise child. I was like, uh, God said, Oh, the doctor says you couldn't have children. Uh, I'll show them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the story of so another I, Sarah.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: well, that's that's part of the reason why her name is Sarah uh, Elizabeth. I mean, you, you can understand the the correlation between those two. That was her mom's choosing uh, to go with those two, so. and then her brother being Jacob Samuel. So a little bit going there. there's a whole history behind how that name happened as well. So as we go deeper into our family dynamics here, which we didn't yeah. know we were going to do, so you <laughs> well, stayed with us.
2: Um, So like I had never asked people those questions. I was not expecting you to ask me that question. I had to think there for a second. It's like, I don't even know what I'm about to tell them. Wasn't planning on going that deep. But have you found that leaders who ask those questions and just are bold enough to be like, well, you haven't asked that question of anyone else. Let me ask you. Um, Have you found that's made them more effective as people like in general? Like as leaders in general?
0: You know, the quick answer, Sarah, is, is yes, absolutely. I think all of us long to be known. And, and um, you know, I know most of our conversations start with, hey, Sarah, how are you doing today? You know, what's going on? Nothing wrong with that. But if you think about the relationships that never get beyond the trivial, it's kind of like none of them are deep. And uh, the relationships with people that we say are really deep is where the interaction has allowed us to share more. And and that question, again, it's one of my favorite questions. I find just as I ask it, that first of all, I'm always curious. The answers are so varied, but at the same time, it's like somebody is opening themselves up and they're sharing those things. It's like the story you just shared, Sarah. I'll never forget it, Sarah Beth, um, because it's real. It was absolutely real. And uh, and it gives me insight into you. And and of course, then our family also had, you know, not every family would have personal identity, nor do they need to, but I had that. And uh, so again, it goes back to, and I restate Patrick Lencioni, three signs of miserable job. We love to work somewhere where we're actually known. And on the flip side, if you work somewhere and it's like, it's lucky if anybody even knows my name here. Mm -hmm. Well, another opportunity comes along, there's nothing holding you at that job. And uh, you're easy pickings for another job. And in fact, you're hoping in that next job, there'll be people that actually care about me. And so again, I think that applies more than just leading Gen Z, I think that's all humanity. But I think especially if you're leading Gen Z leaders, or, or uh, have Gen Z staff, to ask them questions that allow you to get to know them. And, and one of the things about asking what are the three or four questions is it lets them answer whatever they want. It, you know, sometimes you can ask a question like, hey, tell me about your family. And maybe the family's going through some real struggles, and it's like you know that's not a I don't know how to answer that or we kind of keep our family stuff private, and you know you're kind of prying into something you shouldn't have asked me. But when you ask the three or four questions, they can answer wherever they want they're they're you're not asking them to reveal something that might be awkward. So it's another thing I like about that question.
1: It's a I'm running out of space in my notebook here to write notes because I'm writing quite a bit here. This is, this is rich. This is really rich uh, that is going through here. Our audience is going to listen to this. They're going to want to know more. How can they get in touch with you to connect with you to find out more about how to lead with questions, how to dive into this?
0: Well, I would invite everybody listening to, uh, to go to my blog. It's simple, leadingwithquestions.com, just run those words together, leadingwithquestions.com. And there at the bottom, you can enter your email and you will join leaders from 190 plus countries who every Monday and Thursday into their inbox comes. Another either question or set of questions, usually wrapped in a story, uh, that they can use to lead with questions. Also, when they're there, you're going to see a place where you can click on resources. And uh, I have four books. Uh, you've alluded to them earlier, but everything I do on social media is free. So all my books are, are free ebooks, uh, two of them are free audiobooks and uh, downloads. So you just go to leadingwithquestions.com, you'll see a, a place where you can click on the books. And uh, if by chance you have a first language that's other than English or you have friends that speak other than English, there's also my books that are available again for free in Spanish, uh, Chinese, uh, French, uh, uh, Polish, soon to be Portuguese, and then uh, soon to be Albanian and soon to be thereafter, two things that are just beginning to be worked on. Uh, one is Urdu, which is spoken in Pakistan, and the other is uh, Romanian. So uh, again, all of those things free and available, but join leaders throughout the world who are committed to growing their leadership skills. And and one of the things I always I love to share is that a leader who leads with questions will often be three to 10 times more effective in leading than a leader who just simply leads by telling. And and the reality is, when you learn to lead with questions, your staff will be better served. Wow. And and a quote I heard once, but it applies here, is when a leader gets better, everybody wins. Wow.
1: Let me show you, uh, our audience who is watching us on YouTube, here's some of the books that you can have. I've got... I got those. Let me close myself here. And then of course, uh, this one as well. Did you? The the little book of big quotes I've loaned out. So I just realized that I had gotten that one back. So, so there you go.
0: There you Tom, go. You can get that. Uh, Tom Ziegler wrote the foreword on the little book of big leading with question quotes. I was honored for Tom to do that.
1: Well, shout out to Tom for, for always being able to connect people and, and to, uh, what a disciple of this, because when I went through their coaching program with Ziggler, some of the things that you were talking about, especially about tell me more, tell me more, is echoed in, in the way that they approach the coaching as well, and the way that he personally uh, connects with people as well. So he, he is a disciple of, of what you're teaching and follows it very well.
0: Can I share one more tip? Yes, please do. Well, Sarah Beth, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're going to lead with questions, what do you need to do every time you ask a question?
2: Listen. I was going to say listen. I was going to say it, but then I started. I was like, I don't know. This is probably some deep answer. It's probably not
0: listen. No, it's it's listen. And in fact, if you aren't going to listen, then don't ask a question. There's a a quote from Ken Blanchard. He said, when I ask people to talk about the best boss they ever had, they always mention one quality, listening. And so kind of the next question is, how can we get better at listening? Well, here's a simple tip. Sarah, Beth, when you hear the term eight seconds, is there any sport that you might think of that has an eight-second timer?
2: I want to say wrestling, but I feel like that's not it. No, it's not oh. wrestling. I have no idea.
0: James, what do you think? Rodeo. Bull Rodeo. Rodeo. Bull oh, riding. oh,
2: I knew that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm okay. disappointed you
0: didn't say that. <laughs> it's okay, Sarah Beth. Um, one doesn't have to be a fan, but if you've ever, you know, just come across it flipping channels and watch just a few, uh, of the bull riders try to ride a bull, you quickly realize that for a bull rider, eight seconds is like an eternity. And that like uh, four out of five of the bull riders, and we're talking professional bull riders, get knocked off before eight seconds. And, and again, these are professionals. This is not Sarah Beth and Bob and James trying to ride bulls. So <laughs> we're too smart to do that. We'd get hurt. Um, but Here's where I'm going with the tip. The average person, when we ask a question, we only wait two or three seconds for an answer. And if the other person doesn't answer two or three seconds, that silence is so deafening, it, it feels like an eternity. And what we'll do after two or three seconds is we'll either re-ask the question, ask another question or you know, kind of rephrase it or answer it ourselves or just move on and the curious thing is with no self-awareness of what we've just done. So for me, the eight second rule is ask the question and then count silently to yourself, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. James and Sarah Beth, there's times I've gotten to 1,030. <laughs> the longer the silence though, the better the answer. Now, of course, if I was in your home or office and said, hey, which way to the restroom, you're gonna answer that immediately. But if I ask you a question that you've never been asked before, I would say, James, what would you say has been one of your greatest failures that actually has led to one of your greatest successes? If you've never been asked that, it's unlikely that you're gonna answer in two or three seconds it's also probably not going to be very helpful if after two or three seconds, I rephrase the question, or I ask a different question, or I just, you know, interrupt in some way. And if I'll wait, I'll be the beneficiary of some incredible input. And so, ask the question. And what I say is give them the gift of silence, so they have time to think and process. So Yes, lead with questions. And the second is then focus on listening. And now that you know the eight second rule, you'll never be one of those unaware people who, after two or three seconds, has to fill the silence with words.
1: My mind is is going so fast on how I can implement and use this and a lot of what we do. I better put the pen down. It looks kind of awkward. (laughs) Um, But my mind is going so fast. So I'm thinking how we can use this in in Generation Z and and Generation Ziggler and our certification programs and how we can implement this. Bob, you've, you've really launched me. This afternoon, after we get off of this call, there's going to be a lot of brainstorming on how I can reconfigure some of the programs that we have um, and I see Sarah Beth nodding because she's thinking, yeah, we need to we could change the way we do some things and, and teach an element of this that might be better. So that's thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate the 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 wealth of knowledge that I'm getting out of this. So I do appreciate that.
0: I've got yeah. a, another quick story. Yes. And I think, well, this applies again for those who are leading staff that are part of Gen uh, Gen Z. Uh, Navy Captain Michael D. Abershoff took over the command of the USS Benfold, one of our nation's modern warships. And when he took over, I don't know how the Navy measures morale, but however they measure it, morale on that ship was the lowest in the Navy. 18 months later, morale on that ship under his command was the highest in the Navy. And I think we have three, 400 vessels. And so it's always curious, how did he move morale from worst to first? Well, on any ship, you have a whole bunch of Gen Z, uh, you know, sailors. And the first thing he did upon taking command is he had 300 one-on-one meetings with 300 sailors, 15 minutes each. And during that time, he asked them three simple questions. Sarah Beth, would you like to know the three questions he asked?
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, Sarah Beth, you're going to have these memorized as soon as you hear them. The first question he asked is, what do you like best about this ship? The second question, what do you like least? The third question, what would you change if you could? Now, Captain Abishoff did not promise that he'd make every change that he heard. But it didn't take long and he was hearing things and he was thinking to himself, what, what do you mean that's not being done on this ship? We're gonna fix that. But Captain Michael D. Abershoff is a very wise man. Sarah Beth, I'm, I'm gonna have you guess at this. But when he announced changes, guess who he gave credit to for the idea?
2: The person who told him?
0: Yes. Even if it was one of those things like, what do you mean it's not being done on this ship? We're going to fix it. He was so wise. He gave credit to the sailor or sailors who had suggested it. Now, at the end of that first day, he probably only met with maybe 12 to 20 sailors. He still had a lot of conversations to go. But there was a buzz on that ship at the end of the first day The new captain's different. He actually cares what we think. And uh, and then when they begin to see changes made, and again, he didn't promise to make every change he heard. But when he began to make changes, and he was giving credit to sailors on that ship, it's like, wow, do we ever love the new captain? It's not a great mystery how morale on that ship dramatically increased.
1: So I would imagine that the, the, you know the word got around about the morale boost there. But I would also imagine that it was not duplicated everywhere. 300 chips were not duplicating or, or ever how many that there are. And so why do you think that? Why do you think there was, why, if there's something so successful and you're in the same role as that person, why not duplicate it? Why not, why are they not doing that? Why would somebody push back on it?
0: Well, James, I'd have to speculate um you know, not having served in the Navy myself, I'd have to speculate. I think on one hand, there probably was a lot of duplication because in a lot of companies, you know, word of mouth gets around and we hear, wow, James is doing something over there that's really working. It's like, man, I want to do that same thing. And so I'm guessing there was duplication, but I think at the same time, you know, on the other hand, there are just times where People think to themselves, well, I'm so smart, whatever, you know, I'm only going to do what I think. And, and it's like, you know, oh, that's, they might have even said, oh, that's a bunch of soft stuff. I'm a hard nosed leader. My sailors are going to do what I tell them to do. And, uh, you know, and we have that same thing in companies. But, but I know so many, well, I've heard so many times, just as I've shared those three questions, not original with me, but from Captain Michael D. Abershoff. Others have written them down and said, wow, I can't wait to go back. And uh, I don't have 300 sailors. I've got six people on my team. And, and to sit down with them one at a time and ask them, what do you like best about what we're doing here or our company? do you like least what would you change if you could and then listening wow that's going to be fun to do might be challenged with what i hear but as a leader i need to hear that Uh, better or worse
2: yeah i really i like how you emphasize there at the end that you can ask those through questions but then listening to the answer because i've been i've had so many different jobs I mean I've had a different job almost every year since I was 16 and I've been asked those questions so many times over the years but a lot of times they don't listen to the answer and they don't care and they don't implement anything so I really like how you emphasize that at the end there
0: well I like I like how you added added that thought Sarah Beth
1: Bob, thank you for your time. And for our audience, if you want the resources that he alluded to earlier, we're going to put that into show notes with links so that you can click directly to it. So if you're watching this, just look down. If you're listening to this, just, you know, open up the, the your podcast app and find the notes and you'll find the links there so that you can connect with Bob and you can take advantage of the resources that he has. So Thank you again for your time today. I, I really appreciate this. Uh, we're going to connect on some other things that, that we're going to talk about off air because that, that, I've got ideas. I've got a lot of ideas going through my head right now. Thank you. This, this has really been, uh, this has been really good. And, and I'll tell you right now, Bob, you've made a significant difference. Sarah Beth has been doing this with us. You know, she said somewhere between five, seven, eight podcasts that she has been our co-host on her questioning skills as far as the interviewer today have been the best of any of them that's gone far. So I'm going to attribute to that because you've spurred her thoughts on how to ask better questions as well.
0: Well, I agree, Sarah Beth, you've asked fantastic questions. And then James and Sarah Beth, I I just have to say one of the things that's made this so much fun, I'm privileged, uh, my executive assistant is my middle daughter and, uh, and I'm just so thankful to the relationship I have with all my daughter, I have three daughters, with all of them, but for the privilege of being able to work with uh, Becca. And, uh, and so whenever I see a dad and daughter working together, it just uh, is something that just emotionally within me, it's just like, yes, love it. So uh, this has been so much fun to work with both of you today.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. We appreciate that. Um, And to our audience, thank you for listening with us and staying with us. Remember to share this podcast, comment on it, like it. Someone that you know needs to hear and view what we've done today. Until next week, thank you for joining us on the Gen Z Show. Thank you for joining us on the Gen Z Show and being a part of our community. Please subscribe to our channels on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Follow us, too, on Instagram and Facebook to get weekly updates. Until our next show, have a blessed day.